0: Welcome to the latest ATP Tour podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and do not worry if you're suffering from a case of the post-season blues. The next 30 minutes or so will be the perfect remedy. Coming up, we have exclusive interviews with the coach of Rafael Nadal, former world number one Carlos Moya, and two recently retired players, Joe Wilfrid-Songa and Philip Kohlschreiber. Plus, a week on from his Davis Cup triumph, we hear from Canada's Denis Shapovalov. But first... At the recent tour finals, Jill Craver sat down with a former World number 4 and US Open finalist who swapped the court and the locker room for the studio and the commentary box. And it was with that seamless career transition that she and Greg Rosetsky started.
1: I think you have to have an analytical mind by going into television if you're going to do a good job of it, to be quite honest with you. You have to be able to read the situation. I think there's some... Beauty and naivety as well. When you're a player, when you're younger and don't understand everything, you're a little bit more fearless on the big points as well. So it's a combination of two. But the older you get and the longer you're on tour, you have to realize the situations and what to do at the very biggest moments. So I think commentator, you become even more of a student of the game, but you have to have that sort of mindset when you go into talking about it.
2: And it's always interesting for me to see how the sport has progressed. Um, obviously, I feel like it just keeps getting stronger and stronger. How is it changed in your mind?
1: I think compared to my generation, it was very fast courts. Um, Then we had the transition where it became a little slower. The ballers became a little bit heavier. And and now again, it seems like players are getting a lot quicker. Like if you look at Alcaraz, the fastest player on tour, bar none, 19 years of age, the youngest world number one in the history of uh, the men's tour. He's starting to come forward a little bit, transition to the net, but also because the courts at the U.S. Open were a little bit quicker, so I'm really happy to see the courts at times speeding up. You've got to do one of two things, fast court, slower ball, um, slow courts, fast ball, because that allows players to play with more variety, and it has nothing really to do with the racket technology, it's more the string. Once Lexilon came in, it allowed rotation easier to pass So if you're not faster, you can't really get into the net and serve and volley because they can dip it into your feet. But right now you have to be an all-arounder. You have to be able to play defense, offense. And if you want to get to the very top, you have to be able to do all of the above.
2: Is that the change that you feel like the sports continue to to go in? Is people having more all-around court coming into the net more?
1: I'm hoping for it. You know, I still miss miss the serve and volley, chip, and charge days, to be quite honest with you. Usually uh, reminisce about what you watched as a kid. So myself personally, I always watched McEnroe-Borg. I wanted to be McEnroe serving and volleying, while Borg was more of a baseliner. You look at Al Carraza's number one, you'd think he's a Rafa fan. He's actually a Federer fan. And Roger reinvented himself by coming forward taking the ball earlier getting a new racket so there, there's a inspiration from your idols as well and you want to play in that manner and I think um, if you want to get to the very top of men's tennis look at Rune as well who's coming through with Al Karaz, you know first time since '07 that we've had two teenagers in the top 10 in the world since Murray Djokovic and those two guys weren't too bad so uh, the future of men's tennis is very bright but uh, the more aggressive the more coming forward the more I enjoy the game.
2: And you you, ta- you brought up court speed in particular. Um, I just interviewed Patrick Martigloo, um this morning, and he was saying he thought, he thinks it's great when all the courts are similar speed no matter what tournament you go to. Is that something that you agree with, disagree with?
1: Totally disagree, to be quite honest with you. I, I think part of being a great champion is adapting to different surfaces, different speeds. I think the one issue which I think all players have been complaining about for years is the ball. Because that creates a lot of injuries with shoulders, arms. So if you had a unified ball throughout the season, that would be a great thing. Or a uniform ball for clay court season, grass court season, and hard court season. Because that creates injuries for the players. But I always like to think the very best players adjust and find solutions. Um, If it's uniform across the board, there's not those subtle adjustments that need to be made. I mean, my generation, grass was fast, clay was slow and indoors was pretty quick and outdoors could be medium. So you you had all these different speeds of courts to deal with, which means you had to adjust more and you had to find ways. And and nowadays, grass is slow, clay can be faster than grass, and hard courts are all medium-slow. I mean, the reason the US Open is always so exciting is because it's one of the fastest courts Mm -hmm. on the tour. And people can win points through winners rather than unforced errors, because the players are better athletes, they're improving all the time. And I think by having variety and being able to play different styles, it forces you to adapt and become better. And I think my point of view is I don't want like for likeness every week. I think the Mm -hmm. fan wants to see something different. I think we've been blessed that we've had these long rivalries with Djokovic and obviously Nadal and Federer and Murray and guys like that at the very top. And that's great to have those rivalries and you need that in the men's and the women's game but you also have to have new faces and quicker courts allow maybe the younger generation to break through a little bit easier. Why is that? Well, because you get cheaper points. Okay. If you have a big serve, for example, you can, you can get through the court. Look at Felix right now. I mean, he's serving bombs out there and especially you can get some cheap points here and there. And if you get nothing, it becomes a, a physical battle of attrition. It doesn't become, you know, your subtleties of touch or angles or this or that. Yes, you have to use them, but it's who is the physically strongest, especially when you're playing at the
3: majors.
2: The fast courts, I mean, I, I do feel the men's game has gotten, everyone's gotten faster and stronger. Do you feel that has been a factor of why the athletes have gotten faster because you, the courts almost force you to become that way?
1: Well, I think you look at players, it takes them a lot longer to break through because it becomes so much more physical because the courts are medium-slow, so they have to basically be able to last longer. Every match is much more difficult. And if you look at players, we've had more come out of university and do well than we've had that younger generation break through. With Alcaraz breaking through, he's the first real teenager we've seen since Rafa to do that, and that's been a long, long time because Rafa's 36. You're talking it's taken nearly 17 years to see a teenager win a slam and get to the top in the men's game. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad to see that the courts have gotten a little bit quicker and the athletes always get better. First, it was Yvonne Lendl who started the fitness craze. It was Martina Navratilova in the women's game. And then all of a sudden, you've had Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, you know, after you had Sampras and Agassi. And they took it ahead from them. And then this new generation with Runa and Alcaraz, they, they look physically incredible already at such young age. So every generation gets better with technology, with fitness, with diet, and so forth. And, and that's just the evolution of our sport.
2: What, what exactly do you feel like they are doing? I mean, I don't know if you had... Witnessed, like how they've been physically getting better, what they've been doing in the gym, what they've been eating? Is that something that you have noticed or experienced?
1: You look at who their coaches are. Alcaraz, uh, Juan Carlos Ferrer, former world number one, who unfortunately doesn't get the credit he deserves. A certain guy by the name of Rafa showed up. You know, he won the French Open, U.S. Open finals, number one in the world. And then all of a sudden, in Spain, you're not the idol because one of the greatest of all times, if not the greatest, has shown up. So that really changed perception. So Juan Carlos has his academy, he makes sure the physical trainers are there, massage therapist, everybody's right. But also, if you look at Alcaraz, he's a genetic freak in nature as well. But he's maximizing every bit mm-hmm. of his game to do everything he needs to do. And you look at the very best, whether it's Roger, Rafa, Novak, they're always looking for an edge, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a physio, whether it's a tennis coach, whether it's technology on the strings or the rackets, every little min- minuscule detail Is looked at, and that's what this younger generation is doing.
2: Do you feel like Alcaraz is the fastest tennis player you've seen?
1: Yeah, definitely. Fastest tennis player, not the best mover. The most efficient mover is still Novak Djokovic. And before Novak, it was Federer, and then Novak took it to a level where he can get into full splits and still generate pace, which not many players can do. Alcaraz, pure and pure speed, great, but still doesn't read the game quite as well as the former world number one, who I have a feeling in 2023 wants to get back to that number mm. one position.
2: What Can you explain a little bit what you mean by efficient as opposed to quickness, just pure speed? Well, pure
1: speed can get you out of trouble and defend and get you on offense right away, but it's the anticipation of where the ball is. Playing the right shot at the right moment so it puts you in the right position. Even though he's number one Alcaraz, he doesn't do that all the time. Djokovic rarely makes a mistake on his decisions of movement or his decision of positioning or his anticipation of the ball you know and uh, that's a scary thing to be world number one and still have areas mm. to work on I mean that's how good and that's why the whole tennis community is excited by this young Spaniard and I have to say even though with his great results I think indoors is probably his weakest surface and he's most susceptible to beat anywhere outdoors uh He's going to be a nightmare to play. I think still he hasn't figured out the grass courts, but give him time, and I'm sure he'll get there.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's been impressive already with his all-around court play, mm-hmm. um, and that him and Runa and Sitsipas and a lot of these players have been able to beat the guys at the top. But the longevity of of the top three, four, five—if you want to include Rovinca as well—why mm-hmm. um, have then been able to not been able to these others not be able to break through?
1: well scar tissue and do they believe they can beat them yeah you know that that's half the battle and they've managed to stay healthy I mean Novak is in phenomenal shape only one surgery on his elbow Rafa when he first came out we all thought he's going to be done at 28 because of the physicality he played with I mean he's incredible at enduring and managing injuries um, dealing with pain um, Federer 41 had to retire because the knees are basically done um, so you've got to think okay incredible but also felt that there was a generation before this one has just happened that almost showed those guys too much respect. I mean, in my generation, anybody in the top 10 believed they could beat Sampras, Agassi, um, Becker, Edberg, those guys at the top. Even if you weren't good enough, you'd still be able to throw it on the line, and the courts were a lot quicker, so it was maybe a little bit easier for the upset. With everything being consistently the same, it favors the top players a little bit more, which makes their life a little bit easier. And you know, you kind of get the sense right now this. New generation of 19, 20, 22-year-olds are ready. That generation of Zverev team, those guys haven't really managed to step up and beat them at the majors. They've beaten them at, you know, the ATP finals. They've beaten them at Master Series. But they haven't beaten them when it's three out of five. Mm -hmm. And that's where you separate the boys from the men, as I Mm -hmm. like to say.
2: Yes. Well, that's awesome. Um, We love hearing your insight. Thank Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're busy, guys.
0: Thank you for having me on. Greg Rosetsky with Jill Krabus and talking about how the game is changing and now we switch to a player who despite all that change is still right up there at the top that is Rafael Nadal and Richard Connolly recently enjoyed a rare interview with his coach Carlos Moyá.
4: Carlos, thank you so much for speaking to us at the end of uh, the year um, it's been an extraordinary year for the team for Rafa and for you what words would you
3: use to describe, describe it? it. Has yeah, been great. the The last part of the year has not been that good, but he's won two slams this year. So yeah, even two slams, it has to be a, a good year. It's true that the first half of the year was unbelievable. We did not expect that to happen, but with Rafa, always uh, <laughs> you can expect the best from him. And, and uh, yeah, so it has to be a good year. And uh, yeah, hopefully next year is going to be at least as good as this one.
4: What plans have you got for the off-season? How long have you been thinking about that?
3: Well, off-seasons are not what uh, they used to be when 20, 25 years ago, when you had two, three months of uh, getting ready for the next season. Uh, Now it's different and at at the stage of of his career, you have to have some rest during the season to try to get uh, to play um, throughout the whole year. So, So, yeah, he will have just two, three weeks to get ready for Australia. And, and then we, we will see, because like, this year he played just 11 events, I think. So you have to deal with uh, unexpected things, injuries and whatever comes, uh, you have to deal with that. So, so, yeah, we'll see what's coming next. and yeah, But he, he'll be ready to, to play well, I guess.
4: What's that been like for you? it's not easy to control what's coming as a coach I guess you want to control things
3: yeah but there are so many things that, that you cannot control and this is an individual sport and and uh, you cannot hide I mean if you are not healthy you're not playing well uh, there's nobody nobody's gonna cover you so so you have to deal with that uh, with the experience that you had in the past you have to see or try to guess what's best for him and we have a strong team around him that uh, We have our ideas and and our experience from the past. Uh, But yeah, he's 36 and a half years, so more things are happening (laughs) every year. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a a great year. It's very exciting to be part of of his team. And and for sure, he's going to be successful uh, 2023 as well.
4: And he's, of course, a famously intense player, a famously intense practiser. Every time he practices, it's like the last practice you'll ever see. It's, 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 a, it's a real part of what makes him who he is. But I wonder as the years go by whether that intensity, you can ever see that intensity changing in his practice to allow him to play longer.
3: Well, maybe not the intensity, but the, uh, how long we practice. Yeah, uh, it's impossible to stop him, to stop that intensity, because uh, like you said, it's what... Uh, made him who he is but of course he cannot practice five hours a day now and uh, we try to have a more efficient player that practices less but still the results are are good so we try to find that uh, balance that uh, allows him to be competitive still uh, but also he stays uh, uh, injury free he stays healthy that's the most important thing.
4: How is he with that? Because I kind of imagine that he always wants to play longer and more and more and more.
3: Yeah, he, he grew up uh, thinking that way, uh, but he has to realise that he's not 16, 17, 18 years anymore. He's good enough to... Uh, he doesn't need to spend uh, so many hours on, uh, on the practice court uh, because he, he's still good, he's still competitive. Like I said, we have to find the balance of trying to, uh, to practice less than he used to do. But be competitive. So, so yeah, that's that's not easy. But uh, it's easier to be to have a player like him that he's, he's that talented, he's that good that uh, uh, you can have that.
4: And now he's a dad too. Of course, he's got that extra incentive to be efficient with his practice, so he can spend more time with his family.
3: Yeah, that, that yeah, that's right. That's a new situation in in his career. It's something that uh, all so many other players dealt with that and, and he will have to deal with that and it's, it's, a, new, uh, it's a new experience for him. So I think uh, it's going to be very exciting for him also to travel with, uh, with his son. He's, I didn't have that opportunity when I was playing, I, I wish I had that, but uh, it's great to have your family around and, and for sure that will help him to, to try to play longer. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's something uh, a big motivation for him, I think.
4: Last question. He said he's still intending to get back to the very top level, but has to accept he might suffer a bit more to get there. Um, what do you think of, of that journey and the concept of, of suffering when you're watching there as a coach and a friend?
3: Well, he's been suffering a lot because I, I see him every day and I, and I see what he's going through and so many things that... Uh, uh, only the team around him uh, knows what's going on. So, so yeah. Uh, after what you see, uh, you realize how <laughs> how good he is. Uh, the the credit he has on, on on achieving all what he is achieving, and and yeah, you can only have admiration for what he's doing, and still uh, being able to be competitive. To this year, he won two slams. So, um, you see that the all the suffering is paying off. So. So yeah, happy for him, proud to be in his team and and yeah, hopefully he's going to still be competitive next year.
0: Speaking of competitive, not many players started and finished 2022 with team victories in both the ATP Cup and the Davis Cup. They are all Canadian and ATP Uncovered caught up recently with one of them. Denis Shapovalov played 25 tournaments this year across 16 countries, which is a lot of travel and a lot of packing.
5: Hey guys, Sten is here. Come see how I travel. So, first thing, probably Nintendo Switch. Always gotta have it. Never know when you're bored, especially on the flights and stuff. What games do you have? What are your favorite ones? Mario Kart's probably up there. Mario Party. Play with my girlfriend quite a lot. When I'm bored and I just need to kill time, I just play some Minecraft that kills so much time, it's pretty boring, but then you want to build a house, it takes like hours. So your Minecraft game's pretty strong? I think it's pretty strong, yeah. I think it's pretty good. Got a uh, tension device, always have to travel with this. Basically, put this on the strings of my rackets to see how the tension's coming out, uh, especially first couple rackets of a new tournament. <laughs> Definitely super important. Obviously, I'm very, very powerful with my game, very offensive. So it's important that uh, that I can have full swing on my shots and still know that the ball is going to go in. Oh,
0: come on! What is that all about?
5: Got my cell phone. Obviously, very, very important. Can't travel without this. Got to text my team. Have phone calls with my girlfriend when we're away. So, very important I have this. Um, Yeah, probably my most used item. All right, got my watch. Definitely very important to have it with me. Pretty lucky to to have them and always awesome to to have cool watches like this on the road. Probably also one of the most important items that I travel with. It's a little case, a little surprise in there. I got Monopoly Deal. Always play with the team. Many, many games, waiting for matches, waiting for practices. We even got like a ranking system going on. Obviously, I'm at the top. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the others are trying to catch up, but I'm obviously, obviously the best player on my team in Monopoly Deal. You got the Nintendo Switch games and you got the card games. Exactly, gotta switch it up. Another one is obviously my hair gel. Always gotta have it, gotta make my hair look somewhat decent. It's tough in the morning sometimes, so definitely a very useful tool. What's your favorite hairstyle of yours? Oof. I don't know, that's the thing, like I like to change it up, so Obviously, like like the short hair, um, like it kind of slicked back, but sometimes I, I do I do miss the flow and, and like to go back to it. What's some of your favorite things about traveling? Just exploring different cities, different cultures, different vibes. Uh, every, every place that we go to is, is special in their own way, so it's always awesome to, to kind of explore that and, and also just kind of find your spots that you like in every city. Hey, we went to this cafe by the hotel today. Dude, I'm telling you, it's the best coffee I've ever, ever had in my life, the best coffee I've ever had, it was a joke. What's your favorite city that you've been to? Uh, a couple different ones, I think. Obviously, Melbourne is up there, New York, uh, they're obviously very different. I think New York's very energetic, Melbourne reminds me a lot of Toronto, and as well as I think Stockholm is is an unbelievable city. I always love, love going there. Obviously, I've got Great great success uh, winning my title there. Obviously, got my girlfriend living there, so it's uh, it's, it's a really cool place to be.
0: Thanks for watching. This is how I travel. And while we're with Shapovalov, let's hear about Dennis's signature shot the single handed jump backhand from the man himself, speaking with Ursin Kaderis
5: it actually comes from juniors uh, especially when i was small a lot of people would get the the ball up to my back end and i remember i think one practice or a match i just got kind of tired of of going back all the time so i hit a couple in the air and they worked out well and uh, yeah it's just kind of been a natural shot for me is it a weapon as well or is it just style Uh, i think it can be a weapon i you know especially if i hit it well i think it's uh you get a pretty good angle from it i can pretty much hit down on it so the ball comes pretty quick through the courts even uh even if the opponents can get a racket on it,
0: and and how do you decide when's a good time to use it?
5: It's just kind of in the moment kind of thing, you know. When you pick your shot, what you want to go for. If I see the right ball coming, then uh, then I'll probably I'll probably go for it.
1: Does it give you, in some sense, a technical a, a tactical advantage over your opponent?
5: Not necessarily. I think uh, I think it's just uh, you know one of those kind of good looking shots, but it's not like. Uh, it's not a shot I'll hit all the time, but if it is the right ball, I do think uh, it could be effective. And it could be intimidating. Yeah, definitely, maybe. <laughs> if you hit it right, if you don't, then it's intimidating the other way. <laughs> 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 then you look like a goon, then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, use it
1: wisely. Yeah, exactly. You, like, so, how often do you?
5: Again, maybe once or twice in a match, um, maybe once or twice in a tournament, really. It just depends on the right moment, the right shot. I try not to overuse it uh, as well, keep it kind of, you know, a flashy thing, not, not something you get to see every day. So, uh, yeah, it's just kind of in-the-moment
0: thing. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. This year, we bade farewell to a number of high-profile stars, and right up there on the list was Joe Wilfrid Songa the ever popular frenchman made an emotional farewell at roland garros earlier this year and spoke with richard connolly recently about how he feels to have hung up the rackets
6: i would say uh, maybe sweet and sore at the same time especially because uh, i stopped uh, the best uh, activities in the world uh, you know for me it was just uh, an honor you know to step in on the court uh, against the best player in the world, give my best, try to, uh, to communicate, you know, my uh, my joy uh, spirit uh, to the fan. And, uh, yeah, that's why it's sweet, because uh, now I can take care of my family, enjoy my time, uh, do whatever I want. If I want to take uh, a second beer, you know, I can. <laughs> but uh all so right at the same time, because uh, it miss, it's going to... Miss me a lot, uh, of course. You don't look like you've taken too many second beers, I must say. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, you know, appearances. uh (laughs) (laughs) Can deceive. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Can Can deceive. deceive, deceive.
7: Um,
4: Is this the first time you've been around the tennis world since Roland Garros? I wonder what it's like to come back to the tennis world and see some familiar
6: faces. It's not the first time. I would say it's the first time at this level because um, we are here at the at the um, the new ATP e- finals e- these like days exactly that's why i say that um <laughs> that's why it, it it was time to stop <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the ATP uh, finals and uh, now uh, i can see you know all the new generation playing uh doing the jobs uh they they do it well yeah uh, i enjoy a lot today to Watch tennis and, and and watch those guys. You know, they they prove also that uh, tennis is not boring. All the character can 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 be on court, can express express themselves, and uh, especially in, in these sports. And uh, yeah, today I'm I'm just really happy of what I'm I'm watching.
4: Who do you like watching in particular of the new guys?
6: You know, most of them. You know, it's always uh, exciting also to see. You know, new. Um, uh, I don't know if you say that confrontation. New rivalries? New, new rivalries. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I like to see uh, all of them. It's not on, on, only one. Um, for me, tennis has always been uh, an entertainment, and I hope uh, it's going to stay like this. Your rivalries,
4: when you reflect on your career, I mean, there's the titles, of course, but there are the wins against. The greatest players in history what have we got six against Novak six against Roger four against Rafa when you're old and you have grandchildren are they going to be things that you think about those those wins because you were really part of this historic
6: time I will only talk about the victories. <laughs> I will say, look, your granddad, <laughs> he was against Federer. But, uh, never, I will never talk about the losses, um, now that just joking. I mean, it's, it's, uh, like I said, for me, it was a, uh, an honor to step in with all these players. You know, I don't know how many times they will be the, the, they will be the, the biggest players ever. But uh, it's gonna stay, I would say, 25 years at least. <laughs> and uh, during this time, you know, uh, and 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 even after, I will I will always be proud uh, to be part of this because um, today to play tennis, you know, you have to be two on court, and uh, they need opponents, you know, to to achieve what they what they achieve. And uh, one of the things in my career will make me proud is that. I was able to compete with them even in the best moments, you know, even in final, uh, semi-final, in big tournaments. And uh, it's one, one thing I'm, I'm proud of. Who was your toughest opponent? Uh, it's difficult for me to say the toughest, but uh, one who, who gave me a hard time was uh, Andy Murray. He beat me so many times. And it was difficult every time. Uh, when I saw the, um, the draw, I was uh, praying to be on another part uh, and uh, and yeah Andy was a, a terrible player for me
4: <laughs> I wonder
6: what you're going to
4: replace the energy and the joy of tennis
6: with you know I think and I show it, that I came with my joy on the tour you know so for me it's something just natural uh, I'm not forcing it you know it's uh and and you can see on my face if I force it, because if I'm not happy, you can see it too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a way to to live, to be just happy, take the positive uh, in every situation, even the worst. And, um, yeah, today I came with this and I will leave the tour also with my joy. So, um, for me, it's not a problem. I keep moving forward and uh, we'll see how it goes.
0: Joe Wilfried Songer speaking with Richard Connolly. And while he chose Roland Garros to say goodbye, Germany's clay court loving Philipp Kohlschreiber picked the green grass of Wimbledon as the place to bow out. And he spoke with Jill Krabus.
7: It's been a long process and the process was hard, but the decision was easy at the end um, because the first thought to stop playing professional tennis came maybe two to three years earlier. But at that time I still played, let's say, still decent tennis on the highest level, the big tournaments, so it was stupid to stop. Because still you had the opportunity to achieve something really great, and uh, that's why I I had the thoughts for many years, but the decision to stop was easy.
2: So how hard is that to play under those circumstances when you know you should maybe feel like you want to stop but then you continue to play was that was that hard
7: yeah it's hard because i i did maybe the last then the last year especially i have to say i played tennis without joy maybe you know i don't want to make it now too too dramatic it's not that (laughs) bad that i was in a crisis but um I, i played so many years professional tennis and at the end it wasn't the the real joy factor anymore um that's why a few weeks were kind of like yeah, making me sad and that's why I started to having the thoughts more and more um, what I'm doing on this tournament and I feel like okay that's that's actually the right motivation to stop you know and uh, luckily I, I didn't have the injury to stop my career or something like this so I could or I made my decision on my own, own terms and I think this is something not everybody can can do.
2: Yeah. Well, let's talk about the joyous moments of your career. I mean, you've had a phenomenal career. Congratulations, top 20 and eight titles overall. Um, what were some of those most joyous moments for you, would you say?
7: Well, it's, of course, you always say, okay, that the weeks you, you've been unbeaten on the tour, it's something so special. I mean, compare eight uh, titles to how many tournaments I played, you know, it's like maybe... I don't know, 200 or more, 300 tournaments. Some
2: guys wish for one title, though.
7: Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and luckily, I, also for me, I played yeah. uh, my, my best tennis in, in Germany. You know, it's make maybe in in a, in a way doubled special, let's say. Um, but there are many things. I played great doubles with a teammate, uh, Christopher Kass, for example. Uh, I knew it was just great to play with him because he was not this huge tennis player, but I could help him with my talent and and also to lift a few titles together so I think that was a very nice time to to really have a a close friend on tour Um, even that double wasn't my main focus but I really did it for him so it was something uh, really nice to celebrate together and you know so many great moments are for me not only the tournaments also the weeks between where you just improve your tennis and Let's say practice with the best guys uh, on tour. I remember I played a few days with Novak uh, the week before uh, U.S. Open in his special uh, area, you know, outside of the big stadiums, and um, it was just nice. It's 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 different than you practice with these guys Mm. on the tournament side, and it's uh, yeah. That's I I have in my memory which which very good.
2: What would you say you most learned from those moments practicing with those guys?
7: That they are. Actually, you know, most of the time very relaxed, but they really can switch it on. Um, like the crunch time, like you want to call it, they they have the full focus. So they are really good to be relaxed and enjoy the tennis, the practice, the workout. But if they they, they feel like, okay, now it's coming the crucial moment, they, they can have another gear maybe. And that's something really hard to learn. But, I mean, we all try to learn from the best. So... That's why I tried to play always with the best guys in tennis.
2: Well, we, we always called you a dangerous opponent. Every time we saw you in the draw, we knew you were dangerous for any for anybody. Um, were you aware of that or did you know that about yourself? I mean, you had such uh, such great wins throughout your career.
7: Well, yes and no. I think um, I know that I've, I was able to, to play all the opponents because of my strength was the variety of my game, you know. Um, but also maybe sometimes uh, the weak side that I maybe did not have the right belief sometimes that I have the right game to beat the best guys on tour more, more often maybe.
2: Is there any part of you that's sad that your career is over or you're just happy to move on?
7: No, I'm very happy to move on. Um, but I don't know if... It, I don't want to say it's only because of its, uh, a sports career. I think if you get older... Sometimes you have the thoughts, ah, I might change something when I was younger, you know? Uh, I have that also in tennis. I, If I would be able to turn back the wheel a little bit, I would try to do, let's say, a little bit more slice on the backhand, something <laughs> like this. But we all know it's not possible, so I'm very happy what uh, yeah, the future brings.
2: And what does the future bring for you? Yeah. Do you have plans?
7: Um, until the end of the year, I will really do nothing. I played a little bit more golf. I enjoyed uh, to work out in the gym lifting more heavy weights than during all over my career, but uh, I'm I, I gonna stick in tennis, I think. I'm helping for sure some young ones in Germany to improve their game. I'm gonna play my own tennis a little bit more next year in some German club matches, and maybe also do some jobs in the media, but uh, nothing is uh, fixed now, but I think that's uh, like this little general plan. Good luck to Philip Kohlschreiber,
0: Joe Wilfried Songa, and all the other players who called time on their careers this year. I'm Seb Lozier. Join us in the week for more exclusive interviews and I will be back next Sunday with more of the world's top players and coaches. Of that, you can be sure. Thanks for listening. See you then.